You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We finished up that long sentence in the Greek language, verses 3 through 14, two weeks ago. And then last week, we started into a long sentence in the English language uh, that runs through um, verse 21. But I told you that in spite of having to stop and start in the sentence, we were going to do so just because of the amount of content and truth that I believe we need to reflect upon. Um, and so I don't want to hurry through this section here um, in Ephesians chapter 1. I really believe that we've got to, to really ponder and meditate upon some of these truths that Paul is seeking to relay uh, to these uh, Christians at Ephesus. And so I want to read to you our verse from last week and then tie it in with our verses that we're going to be looking at this week. It says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So last week we started with that for this reason. I told you I think that phrase goes in both directions based off of what we've already seen in verses 3 through 14. And based on what he's about to tell us through the remaining portion of this chapter, for this reason, he uh, gives ceaseless praise uh, uh, to God for their faith and love and ceaseless prayer uh, for specific things that we're going to look at today. Um, It says that he's heard of their faith and he's heard of their love towards all the saints. And he gives thanks to God for them, remembering them in his prayers. Right? And so we talked last week, are we known for these type of things? Are we known for our faith? Are we known for our love? When trials hit our life, are we known as individuals who quickly turn and trust God with our circumstances? When situations arise where people need help and need people to serve, are we known for our love? Are we known for our desire to give and to take care of others? Paul says, that's what you're known for. I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. And therefore, I remember you in my prayers, giving thanks to God for you. But it's not just a prayer of thanks. There's specific content, specific requests that he makes for these people at Ephesus. He says that he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That He's praying that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would know certain things. And we're going to delve into that today. The thing that really jumped out to me as I was studying this week is that concept of our uh, heart's eyes or the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, right? The idea there is that we would uh, see things differently than we've been seeing them, right? I had a student in my office this week. She's going through some difficult things. She was exposed to some things earlier in life, and that's shaping how she's seeing some things currently in her life, right? And so I'm sitting there talking with her. I've got her parents with me. I've got her counselor there with me. And we're kind of walking through and working through some of this stuff, and I'm challenging her. I'm saying, look, you've been, you've, you've been filling your mind with certain things that aren't true, right? And you've got to experience what Scripture talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
so that you can see things differently, right? And so we were talking about the importance of a biblical worldview, seeing things in life through the lens of God's word, right? And we need that as believers, and Paul's praying for that. He's praying that we would have these spiritual eyes, that our heart's eyes would be opened to see things differently, that we would see a different reality than what we were seeing prior to coming to Christ. We call this a biblical worldview, seeing things through the lens of God's word. And I believe Paul is praying that we'll see it in a way where we can't unsee it, right? We'd see it in such a way where we can't unsee it. Not that we're seeing things that weren't there previously, right? God's always been at work previously, but now our hearts are inclined to see it. Our hearts are inclined to turn to it and to trust in it, right? You've seen some of those pictures before where at first glance it looks like one thing, and the longer you look at it, the longer you, you, you ponder it and you turn it different angles, you see what the picture's really meant to be, right? There was one day during hunting season, slow, it was kind of boring, um, and I was on a text ring with some guys, and Tyson texted a picture of this thing that really looked like a dog that had been rescued off the street, right? It looked like one of those dogs that you see in one of those Alyssa Milano commercials where she's asking you to give money to take care of dogs, right? I mean, the thing just looked mangy, messed up, like maybe it had been hit by a car, and you're just like, oh, I'm so, like, why did you send this to me, Tyson? And he's like, what do you see here? And we're all like, well, we see this, like, really gross-looking dog, right? And he's like, keep, keep looking. And then he's like, turn your phone upside down. You turn it upside down, and it's like this really healthy dog that's, like, playfully laughing and smiling. But, like, upside down, it looked really, like, messed up. But once you kind of see the real picture, you can't unsee it. You can't go back to seeing it the way that it was before, right? Um, that's what Paul's praying for here is that these believers would see things that have been going on around them, right? Things that have been at work since the beginning of time, but that their hearts would now see it and be inclined to trust it. He says, I want you to see it more and more. I want you to be something that you can't unsee. He's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. I told you last week that Paul's prayers rarely are about physical circumstances and physical conditions. Rarely is he ever praying to God and asking for physical needs to be met for people that he's pastored. Instead, we see that he's praying for spiritual needs constantly, right? I put in my notes, one of the reasons I think that's the case is that God is less about changing our circumstances and more about changing the way we see our circumstances. Let me say that again to you. God is less about changing our circumstances and more about changing the way we see our circumstances. Instead of viewing things as setbacks, God wants to see those as opportunities. Right? Think about Paul. He's a great example of this. Right? Paul, in the book of Philippians, he's been thrown into prison. He's been arrested. Right? And we would expect maybe for him to reach out to the church and say, pray for my release, or I've been praying for God to get me out of here. Right? I'm falsely accused. I shouldn't be here. I'm doing the right thing, and yet I'm being punished for it. Instead, in Philippians chapter 1, we see Paul's praising God for opportunities with the gospel towards individuals who would not have previously been exposed to the gospel had he not been thrown into prison. Right? This dark and cold and dungy prison becomes the greatest arena for him, the greatest venue, the greatest stadium for him to proclaim the gospel. Right? What should be a setback from the world's standpoint, right? Paul, church planter, proclaiming the gospel, he's now been bound and chained and arrested. Well, he just sees this as a different opportunity. 
right? And I believe that's what Paul's praying for here at the church of Ephesus, that these people would see life differently. They'd see their circumstances differently. Their heart's eyes would become further enlightened. Last week, we saw the ceaselessness of Paul's prayer. Verses 17 through 19 is going to give us the content of the prayer that Paul is regularly praying for the saints who are known for their faith and love, right? Keep in mind, again, we're not talking about immature, worldly, flaky believers that Paul's saying, okay, we got to go rescue these guys. I got to offer these prayers up for these guys. These are people that he's just described as people who are known for their faith and love. These are maturing believers. And yet Paul says, I'm praying for you to mature more and more, which gives us a reason to pause because no matter where we're at spiritually right now, you may have come in this morning struggling, feeling defeated, feeling hurt, feeling confused, doubting, and you definitely need to hear God's word today. But you may come in here today on a spiritual high. I mean, you maybe have come off a week where you've seen God's, God's at work and you've been turning and trusting him and praising him. You've been applying scripture, right? And God is just revealing himself more and more to you. You still need to hear God's word today because Paul's saying, I want the mature to keep on maturing, right? I want the mature to keep on maturing. I want your eyes to be further enlightened. I want your wisdom and revelation to further increase. This is a prayer that's ongoing, not because it hasn't been answered yet, because it, but because it needs to keep uh, on being answered. Let me say that again. The prayer that Paul says, I pray ceaselessly about this. The prayer is ongoing, not because it hasn't been answered yet, but because it needs to keep on being answered. Right? Paul is not praying for something that these people would then achieve and then him, then him be able to say, okay, I'm going to cross that off my prayer list. Right? He's praying for something that is an ongoing prayer until God calls these people home. That their knowledge of God would continue to increase, that their hearts would be enlightened more and more to his goodness and to his promises and to the ways that he's at work around them. So when we see the what of the prayer, the what of verses 17 through 19, he's asking for open minds and he's, open, he's asking for enlightened hearts. Right, this spirit of wisdom and revelation is tied to their minds. Right, he's praying for open minds, but then he's also praying for enlightened hearts, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He wants new exposure to the things of God, but then he wants their hearts to really see it and to embrace it. We also see a why attached to his prayer. He's asking for these things so that the saints specifically will better know what they're called to do where their calling leads, and how they're to get there. All right? He says, uh, I'm praying for your minds, I'm praying for your hearts, and I'm praying specifically, look what he says in verse um, 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants them to see what they're called to, where that calling leads, and how they're supposed to get there. How do they get to that end goal of where God wants to lead them? If you've got your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick. Prior to Christ, prior to coming to Christ in faith, we're described as, as being blinded to spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 3, Paul's talking about his practice of sharing the gospel 
Um, he's talking about people potentially even rejecting the gospel. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 4, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In this passage, Paul is describing a state of mind that we're in when we're brought into this world. Right? We're, brought, we're brought, brought in blinded. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded us through the things of this world, blinded us to the glories of the gospel. Right? We don't see the light of the gospel even though it's being proclaimed, but Jesus Christ is Lord, right? It says, it says that he shines light into our hearts. The same God who created back in Genesis and said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, we've been talking about this in Ephesians, how God is always at work when it comes to salvation. It's God who does it. It's God who accomplishes it, right? We're blinded. The gospel is veiled to us. He has to step in and shine the light into our hearts so that we can see Jesus, so that we can embrace Jesus. We need these type of minds to know God and these type of hearts to embrace him. These spiritual eyes that are being described here, these spiritual hearts. You go back over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He talks about our minds being different here. Talks about light shining forth. We were in darkness, futility, and God has rescued us out of that so that we can see things differently. This needs to be undone in us, this futility of the mind, this darkness, this alienation from God. And Jesus saves us from that. And now it's an ongoing process of opening our minds and our hearts' eyes more and more to the things of Jesus. So let's look at our summary sentence for today. Every Christian has an ongoing need to know God more and to see his power at work more. And we have the assurance that we can pray and have this knowledge and enlightenment given to us. Every Christian has an ongoing need to know God more and to see his power at work more. And we have the assurance that we can pray and have this knowledge and enlightenment given to us. For our kids, Christians can pray to know God and to see his power more. Paul's ongoingly praying for this, desires that the people would see this, even though they're already known for their faith and love, they would continue to increase in their knowledge of who God is so that they can better understand the calling that he's placed upon them. 
And again, this applies to every Christian here today. No matter where you're at in your growth process, there's still more to be done. There's still work to be accomplished in your heart as you learn to trust him more, to say no to the flesh, and yes to the Spirit. So let's dive in. I want us to see two things here this morning from, a, from a, an understanding standpoint. Number one, first of all, we're going to understand the need that we have a little bit more. Then we're going to understand where we get our needs supplied from. Where do, where do we take those needs? How do we get a supply towards those needs? Okay, so let's start by looking at number one, understanding our ongoing need. I told you Paul's prayer is ongoing, therefore the need for it to be supplied to us is ongoing as well. Understand your ongoing need. Number one, our minds need to be continually filled with the revealed knowledge of God. Our minds need to be continually filled with the revealed knowledge of God. If we jump ahead in Ephesians to chapter 3, verse 1, look what Paul says. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is saying that he has received revelation from the Holy Spirit, and he's calling upon the Ephesians to, to trust in it, to understand it, to pursue it, and to embrace it. Right? He says this is revelation that wasn't previously available. Right? Some of you know the difference between general revelation and special revelation. Right? General revelation is what we understand to be ways that God has revealed himself to all peoples in all times and all places. Things that can be known about God no matter what point in history you've lived. Right? We see this in Romans chapter 1 that he makes his eternal power and divine nature evident through creation. Right? The stars, the handiwork of God declares his glory. We can see that. Whether you were born uh, right after the Garden of Eden, right? or whether you're born five years from now, right? you can see the, the deity and the greatness of God through creation. If you, if you want to, if you want to see that, you can see that. Right? Special revelation is those things about God that we can only know if he chooses to tell us. Right? We don't know about Jesus and the cross and salvation, and redemption, and, and all those things. We don't know those things unless God chooses to specially reveal those to us. And he's been specially revealing things ever since he created, a little bit at a time, progressively, right? The, the early prophets got revelation about who God was, and then that revelation was built upon all the way through the Gospels, right, into the, the New Testament epistles. More revelation about God being given. Paul says, I've got new revelation to give to you that wasn't previously made available, and here it is. Now, we believe that revelation has now ceased, right? God is, has finalized his word. And so therefore, Paul's writing at a time where he's still praying, I think in some ways, for revelation to continue to be gathered and collected because at the time Paul writes, he's obviously still writing the New Testament himself, right? So the, the New Testament hasn't been collected yet. There's still new revelation being given, new inspiration coming through these letters. Now we believe that to be uh, stopped, so we don't need new revelation, but we do need to keep coming back to what God has provided to us. We need to read it, to understand it, and to embrace what's already been given. 
Now, we don't read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on his word simply to know about God, right? Uh, even the demons know about God. You can read in Mark 1, 23 uh, through 24, uh, where demons are speaking about their knowledge of who God is. And it's, it's right knowledge, it's truth about who God is, right? But they, they don't have a relationship with him. They don't, they don't submit themselves to him, right? So our reading and studying and meditating on his word has to have a different purpose than just knowing simple facts or truths about God. It's meant to have us know him in such a way that we want to embrace him, submit ourselves to him, ultimately come to uh, obey him more and more. First John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him. Right? Paul says he's praying that they would have knowledge of God. We've come to know God if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but he does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. We need to know him for salvation. John 17, 3 talks about this is eternal life, that you'll know God and know Christ, right? That's how we're saved is to, to come to this knowledge of who God is. But then there's ongoing growth that's needed. Philippians 3, 10 talks about um, Paul knowing the power of the resurrection of Christ, right? We need this ongoing growth where we learn and learn and learn more about who God is. And then ultimately, we look towards this day where, where we know God to, to the extent of our capacity and, and, and we're completely known by him. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this, this glorification state that is still to come. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known or been fully known. Right? There's this coming this day. First uh, John talks about we'll see him as he is when Jesus comes back. Right? We'll see him as he is. And so we long for this even deeper knowledge and deeper experience of who God is down the road. But for now, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament talk about this need for ongoing growth in our life. And it starts with our minds being exposed to God's revelation, right? Not new revelation. We keep coming back to God's word. We put our minds underneath it so that our minds can be transformed and renewed. But number two, our hearts need to be continually opened to embracing this revealed knowledge of God, right? It's not enough for us to just sit down and read God's word and check the box and say, okay, now I'm going to eat breakfast, right? It's not something that we just add to our day of tasks to do. This is where Paul's praying for the supernatural piece. Because honestly, there's not necessarily anything supernatural about somebody just forcing themselves to sit down and read the Bible. The supernatural piece is the heart opening itself to embrace it, right? And, it, and, it, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, opening the heart, opening the heart. The Holy Spirit opens our heart, enlightens our heart to where we desire the things that we read. We need a Holy Spirit-shaped, influenced, and enlightened heart that can grasp the wisdom of God's given revelation to the apostles and the prophets. We read, we study, we meditate on his word, not just to know him, but to love him, to trust him, and to glory in him. It's the exact opposite of what we see that people have done with the knowledge of God in Romans chapter 1. You go to Romans chapter 1, and you see in verse 21, 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, right? Similar to this demon knowledge that we talk about. The demons know about God, but they don't submit to him. They don't honor him. They don't give him thanks, right? Mankind has been in that state. They knew God. They didn't honor him. They didn't give him thanks. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, right? We need our hearts to be enlightened, Paul says. You skip down to verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They knew about God. They just didn't like it. They didn't like what they knew about God. They didn't choose to acknowledge him. They choose to ignore him, right? What Paul was praying for is that our minds would be exposed to the revelation of God, to the wisdom of God, and that our hearts would turn to it, that our hearts would embrace it, not just for initial salvation, but for ongoing growth, right? Paul's praying that every time a believer comes under the word of God, whether it's in personal study, whether it's gathering on a Sunday morning, whether it's getting together in the small group format, that our hearts would be inclined to hear, to believe, and to trust what we hear about God. So he says, I'm praying. I'm praying for a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation. I'm praying for your hearts to be enlightened. Specifically for what, though? What is it that he wants these believers to deepen their understanding of? He says that in the following uh, section of verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So this question, what knowledge do we need to increasingly embrace? What, what is God, or what is Paul praying to God that God would give to these believers? First off, we need to be better, or we need to be better, we need to better see, sorry, we need to better see the hope of our calling as Christians. The first thing that he mentions is that we would better see the hope of our calling as Christians, the things that we're called to. Now, Ephesians 2 verse 12 talks about the lack of hope that we had before coming to Christ. Look what he says in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, right? You're, you're blinded. You don't see things. You don't, you don't embrace the God who's created you. You have no hope. Paul says, I want you to see your hope. I want you to see that you're called to glory. Romans chapter five. Like God, God doesn't just save us and, and stop there. He's got big plans. He's got big destinies for us, right? Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Talks about rejoicing in our sufferings because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We hope in this glory of God. Colossians 1 Again, I told you Colossians is kind of a parallel book that has a lot of the same content as Ephesians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we see the parallel section for what we're studying in Ephesians. It says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Titus 2 is another passage. Um, Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. These are all passages that talk about God calling us and moving us in this direction of good works, conformity to the image of his son, and the hope that's tied to that. This is our calling, and we have great hope in it. Paul is praying for these things. Sorry, let me back up. Um, We're called to obedience without burden due to the hope we see in it. 1 John 5, 3 talks about Christians obeying God because they love him, obeying his commands, and they're not burdensome, right? I'm talking with this girl in my office this week, and and as we're talking about that biblical worldview piece, I'm, I'm challenging her, okay, what you're doing right now is wrong, but I don't want you to walk out of this office just hearing, don't do this. I told her, I said, I want you to understand, I'm telling you not to do this because your loving creator has told you not to do this. And he's told you not to do it because he knows what's best, because he's the one that created this good gift and you're abusing it, right? So I said, look, I don't want you to think that God's trying to rip you of your joy, because that's what the Satan would want you to hear. Satan would want you to hear your principal telling you today, don't do this because it's fun, because it's good, and we don't want you to have either of those things, right? I told her, I said, I want you to understand that your creator's telling you don't engage in this because it's not good for you. And he's, he knows because he's the creator of it, right? He's the creator of it. And so his commands aren't burdensome if our eyes are open to see that. Right? If our eyes aren't open to see that, we're like the people in Romans who say, I know God, but I'm not going to acknowledge him because I don't like what he says. But if our, if our hearts are open and our, eye, our spiritual eyes can see, we hear these things and we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, to these things. Paul says, I need your eyes, your spiritual eyes, your heart eyes to be opened or else you'll reject this. We need to see that hope of our calling as Christians. Secondly, we need to better see the riches of our future as Christians, where the calling leads to, right? That this isn't the end-all, be-all of our experience. God didn't create us for what we're experiencing right now. Even the best days that we have here on this earth are not what God has created us for. He didn't create us for this this tainted, uh, sin-infused world. So even our best days, our best experiences aren't our best days, Right? This glorious future inheritance is extended to us as a reminder. Paul says, I want you to understand the riches that still lie in the future. Not physical riches, spiritual riches that have yet to be fully realized. Right? I want your hope of your calling to become more clear to you. I want the riches of your internal inheritance to become more clear to you. And then he goes on to say, we need to better see the greatness of God's power towards us as Christians. It's how we get there, right? So he says, this is your calling. This is where the calling is supposed to lead to. And then there's this immeasurably great power that's going to make sure you get there. This immeasurably great power that's going to ensure that you make it to the end. And, um, sorry, I'm in Colossians. I need to be in Ephesians 1. Have your eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what's the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Don't minimize the power of God. 
I'm, I'm afraid sometimes that the more we see something happen, the less impressive it is, right? For most of us, we're amazed by things that we see infrequently, right? To the point that, like, we're not really amazed like we should be, probably. Like, we definitely should be, not probably. We're not amazed when God takes people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's just kind of ho-hum for some of us at this point. We've heard about people becoming Christians, right? Recently, in the past few weeks, we've baptized people in our church who have transferred from darkness to light, who were previously blinded to the gospel and have now had their eyes open to the gospel. And we hear some of that and we're like, where are we going for lunch after church today? Right? Now, if we came in here and, and we were talking about God doing things that are real infrequent, that we, that we never hear about, right? Um, that we knew a friend who, you know, I've got a friend of mine who's spoken at Trinity and, and worked at Snowbird, Daniel Ritchie, who was born without arms, right? If I came in here and told you, Daniel Ritchie miraculously woke up this morning and God grew arms for him overnight, we'd be like, wow, that's unbelievable. That's amazing, right? Because that, that doesn't happen. That's so infrequent that that, that that would happen. It amazes us. Sometimes we're less impressed by the things that are frequently happening. And we shouldn't be any less amazed by that. We shouldn't be any less amazed that God would save people from darkness to light and that he would continue to grow them to release the things of this world and to embrace the things of Jesus more and more. We shouldn't be less amazed by that just because we see it more frequently. It should still catch our wonder that it's immeasurable power it takes to move somebody from darkness to light and to increase their knowledge and faith in him. His power is the great source we need, right? Not mystical power, not governmental power. These aren't the things that can save us. It's his immeasurable great power. These are the things that we need. We need to better understand our calling, better understand our future riches, right? So that the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of his coming glory and grace, right? And we need to understand his great power is how we get there. Not our own works, not our own effort, not our own ability to sustain ourselves, his great power. We need these things. So how do we get these things? Number two, understand your supernatural supply. Ongoing need, supernatural supply. Our spiritual needs are ultimately met by the Father of glory. This is how Paul describes the being that he is praying to, right? So he's telling the people in Ephesus, this is what you need. You need to have wisdom and revelation and your eyes opened, you need to understand your calling, your inheritance, and the great power. And I'm going to pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give that to you. Our spiritual needs are ultimately met by the Father of glory. We've seen this concept of glory to the praise of his glory throughout Ephesians. I'm putting my notes here. Um, he is the Father of glory. Why, why, would, why would he be referred to this way? I put down, he's the father of glory because he deserves all the glory. And he's so committed to his glory that he brings all of his chosen to glory. Let me say that again. Why, why is this title appropriate for our father? He's the father of glory because he deserves all the glory. And he's so committed to his glory that he brings all of his chosen to glory. Paul is praying for things that require God to provide. They are sourced in him, and we can't have this stuff without him giving it. And let that set in. 
you can't grow in your knowledge of God. You can't force your heart to open itself more to the things of God unless something supernatural happens. Unless the God of this universe chooses to step down into your heart and to open it, it can't happen. He's the father of glory. The assurance that we have is that he wants it to happen and he will will for it to happen because he's the father of glory. We need it and the only way to get it is through prayer and provision and he will give it. Luke chapter 11 is the parallel passage to what we were looking at in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew about a good father only giving good gifts. There, though, Luke quantifies the good gift, and he says he will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask for it. If we ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to us. Now, believers already have the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit continues to work in us, and we can pray for this to happen, pray for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. God opens our hearts to see him and to trust his truth. Luke 24, 31 through 32 Dude's on the road to Emmaus talking with Jesus. The passage talks about God opening their hearts to see him, to understand him. And the guys even talk after Jesus is gone. That one guy says, did our hearts not burn as he was talking about the scriptures? Right? Did our hearts not feel conviction? Did our hearts not come alive as he was teaching us from the Old Testament? Right? Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Lydia, seller of purple, Bible says that God opened her heart to hear the things that were being shared, right? Not open her ears, open her heart. Her heart was open to hear these things. Number two, our spiritual needs are continually met by the Spirit's working. Father of glory is responsible for it. He gives the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit comes directly to meet these spiritual needs that we have. He seals us by accomplishing these things. These faithful, loving saints were made in need of this, and the Spirit grants all we need to know God rightly and to be impacted greatly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. You should read this. You should read this. Because it's, again, another passage that talks about things being hidden from us and things coming uh, to our awareness through the Spirit. And the Spirit bringing this knowledge, this depth of who God is to us. Because he's the only one that knows it, verse 11 talks about. We receive not a spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Right? They're free gifts, but it takes the Holy Spirit to get them into our hearts. Right? Natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit. Uh, they're folly to them, not able to understand them. They're spiritually discerned. Spiritual person, verse 15, judges all things, himself to be judged by no one. He understands the mind of the Lord because we have the mind of Christ. All right? How do I receive the supply for my needs? What do I need to do if I've got these needs to know these things more, to embrace these things more, to see these things more clearly? How do I get this supply for my needs? First, we need to seek him regularly through his word and mature believers, right? We, we, we know God better through his word and by leaning on mature believers because the Bible talks about how necessary it is for us to have people in our life who speak truth to us, particularly when we're being wayward in our thinking, right? We need mature believers. It's, it's how God communicates through his word and through other believers. We need to seek him regularly, being in the word and then seeking guidance and wisdom from mature believers. Secondly, we need to ask him regularly for insight and growth. We don't just seek it, but we ask for it because he's fully capable of doing what's being asked. He turns the light on in our hearts. He turns the light on in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we pray for this. And even as we pray for it and ask for it, and even as Paul prayed for it and asked for it, God's capable of doing even more than what we're asking, right? Far greater things than we can even imagine. And then lastly, number three, we need to trust him regularly to work good while clinging to his promises. Trust him regularly to work good while clinging to his promises. Look what uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. His divine power, this power that we're talking about, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature says that his power has given us these great promises that leads to life and godliness. I want to give you an example of this real quick, and we'll close with this. The example of Caleb in the Old Testament. Right? you got Caleb, Joshua, and 10 other guys that are sent by Moses to go spy out the land of Canaan. Right? God's been promising this land to them. They've been on a trek from Egypt to get there. This is prior to them wandering around in the wilderness. Right? Not a ton of time has lapsed since they left Egypt, experienced the Red Sea, and now they're at the borders of Canaan. They're getting ready to go in. And spies are sent into the land, right? Ten of them are bad, two of them are good, right? And what we find is that Caleb comes back, and he's, he has what's described as a different type of heart and a different type of spirit than the other men. Look what it says in um, Joshua 14. Joshua chapter 14, verse 7. This is at the end of, uh, the, end of the, the line here. Um, it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord. So note that it says here, he came back with a report from his heart. Okay. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. Man, there's several passages that talk about everybody dying except Joshua and Caleb. Everybody dies except Joshua and Caleb because God said everybody's going to die except Joshua and Caleb, right? Because they're the ones that are going to get to go in, right? Look what it says in verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land in which he went and his descendants shall possess it, right? Different spirit and a different heart. The exact same things we're talking about in Ephesians, right? That we would have a spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation, and our hearts would be enlightened. He's got a different spirit. He's got a different heart. And it leads to him giving a different report. Look what it says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, right? These guys come back. They come back. And prior to this, um, it talks about like these giant people. There's no way we can do this. We got to go back to Egypt. Like this is not good. These come from the 10 spies. And they get everybody riled up. We can't do this. We can't do this. But Caleb quieted the people from Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it 
for we are well able to overcome it. That was his report from his heart. You skip now into um, verse 14, verse, or chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Get this. He brought back a report based on his enlightened heart, based on the truth that he knew about Yahweh, and it shaped his view. He trusted that nothing and no one could prevent the Lord from keeping his promise to bring his people to their inheritance. And his, his, his view is shaped by what he knows about God. And it's as though these 10 spies and these two spies, and we'll count Joshua in this group of enlightened heart and different spirit, it's like they see two different things, right? These 10 guys are like, we can't do that. Look at all these big guys, all these giants, like we're done. Like we can't go into there. Joshua and Caleb are like, are we seeing the same thing? I see a great land. I see a people that their protection is removed and God has given it to us. It's like that picture that was circulating way back where uh, it was like a dress or something. And like some people see it as blue and some people see it as like gold and white, right? And you get people on both sides. They're like, are you looking at something different? Because I see it this color. And the other person's like, no, I see it as this color. That's what I picture with Caleb looking into the promised land and these other 10. Caleb's like, yeah, there's some giants, but like they don't have any protection. It's like he's got like these sunglasses on that see the world differently. He doesn't come back saying, we got to pray that God will take these, these giants out of here, right? He's not changed. He's not praying for circumstances to be changed. He's seeing his circumstances as an opportunity that God has made a promise and God's going to keep that promise, right? For us to avoid the world overwhelming us, we must see that we see what we see physically is not the full reality. Let me say that again to you. To avoid the world overwhelming us, we must see that what we see physically is not the full reality. I have no doubt if the people had listened to Caleb, God would have given them the land right there, not 40 years later. Right? Caleb saw the world through the lens of Scripture. His heart was different. His spirit was different. And he said, we can take this because God has promised us this inheritance. As we leave today, we are believers who God has granted us an inheritance and he's called us to a hope and he's given us the power to live this way. Not in the futility of our minds like the Gentiles, like we used to walk when we were part of the darkness, but to live and trust him in new ways because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. Our identity truths to remember today, every Christian can know God more. Every Christian can see God's power at work more. We just have to pray for these things. Every Christian has hope in their calling, and every Christian has a glorious inheritance that's coming. For our application this week, it would be probably wrong for me to have anything besides prayer since Paul is modeling prayer for us, right? So number one, pray for God to fill your mind and open your heart more to who he is and what's he's do what he's doing. I challenged you last week to find new ways to uh, ground yourself in the word. New ways, podcasts, sermons, books, articles, whatever it is, put yourself under the word more than you're currently doing. Pray that as you do that, God would fill your mind and open your heart more to what he's doing and who he is. Number two, pray the same for specific others in your life too. Let's follow the example of Paul. 
We're not going to just pray for ourselves and for this to happen. We pray for others in our life, that God would do this same thing in them, that he would grow them in their knowledge and open their hearts and enlighten them to what's really going on, that we would see the world like Caleb saw it. We'd see it full of God's promises, and we'd go take them and go seize them and, and run headstrong into it, knowing that God's with us. And if he's with us, no one can be against us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for our salvation. We thank you for our increasing faith and love that is true about us as believers. But God, I pray that we would all sit here today realizing that we have a great need to know you more and for our hearts to submit to you more. And God, we recognize that's a supernatural act by you for that to happen, that we can't engineer that ourselves. We can read the Bible. We can put forth our side of the effort to work out our salvation, but it's you who gives the energy and the power for it to take effect in our life. And so we're praying for that today. God, I pray that today's sermon would increase our trust in you, increase our faith in you based on the knowledge that we have of you. God, I pray that we would be like Caleb, that we would embrace your promises in such a way that it causes us to view this world differently than the lost that we would see your promises in the midst of our difficult circumstances, our challenging circumstances, we would see your promises. We would see your power to fulfill those promises. God, I pray that we would love you and obey you and submit to you this week and it wouldn't be burdensome to us because we are acknowledging you as our creator, our good creator, who has good things in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.